Amen. Nice little tinkle at the end there. I like that. <laughs> hey, we're going to turn to John 15. So we've been um, journeying through what's known as the farewell discourse, or goodbye chat, if you want to think of it like that, but in a very profound way as Jesus prepares his disciples for his death and for all that's coming afterwards. And the dialogue itself is uh, quite dense. There's a lot going on, so we're not going to take too much on today. So we're going to read from verse 1 of chapter 15, 16, sorry. And we're going to read to verse 16, but we're only going to get as far as verse 11, I think, in what we, we consider today lest I overload my brain and yours. So we're going, to, we're going to hopefully get from verses 5 to 11 in what we look at today. So that's on page 765. So let's read, though, from... Well, we'll start from verse 26 of 15 will help us, actually. When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father... He will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you, so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're going to think about today, but know, know the advantage of the Spirit's work. So let's pray just as we consider these things. We thank you, Father, for what we have read. 
we thank you for the counselor, the helper, the spirit. May you by your spirit now enlighten our understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> amen. If I were to give you a choice and say, you know, you could get into a, a time machine and you could travel back to walk with Jesus in person 2,000 years ago. And I said, you can, you can choose that or you can choose to be a follower of Jesus with the Spirit today. Which do you think you would choose and, and why? Now, I, if you ask yourself, well, which would make belief easier? Which would deal with my skepticism more? Which would help me with the hardship of trying to be a Jesus follower? Which would be preferable? And I think that we would all say at our gut, if we're honest, well, you know what? I would, have, I would prefer to have been there in person. I would have preferred to have seen Jesus in person and be there myself. Yeah? It's just me or would, <laughs> would you prefer that? <laughs> I think whether you're convinced by Christianity or not, you would say, well, if I could see for myself, I think that would make things a lot easier. But Jesus says to his disciples here who have journeyed with him for three years, in verse 7, he says, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus says to his disciples, it is to your advantage that I leave. It is better that I go. Doesn't it seem hard to believe that it's better that he leaves, that it's better that he's no longer in this world. And yet Jesus says it's for your good, it is for your advantage, and it is because my going will enable the counselor, which is the Holy Spirit, to come to you. And that that is preferable. Now at this point, the disciples are in deep need of, of reassurance and of encouragement and help. They're going through a time of profound change and uncertainty. So they're, they're very confused and, and fearful and trying to understand what is going on. Why is Jesus leaving? And that leaving, Jesus already has said to them, will mean that hatred will shift from being put towards me and directed now towards you. And it's very daunting and scary and confusing, this phase that they're in. But they're not going to be abandoned. They feel like they're going to be abandoned. But Jesus is saying, no, you will not be abandoned. You will actually be better off when I leave, when I go. We began in verse 26 of chapter 15, where Jesus says, When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you've been with me from the beginning. 
Jesus is trying to teach the disciples then and us now to know the advantage of the Spirit's work. That it's far from being abandoned, but that the triune God are working together. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. To equip them for all that lies ahead. And this Spirit is the Spirit of truth. You can imagine the disciples just trying to, trying to take in what is being, being said to them. I think at that point, like us, they're struggling, struggling to, to see, to get, well, what exactly is the, the advantage? How can it be better? And it takes them a lot of time. It takes them a lot of faltering and dramatically so in the interim. And it's a process of learning and of messing up and of the experience. Uh, but they're given the room and the grace and the spirit to make that adjustment and journey. And the spirit is testifying to them about Jesus, verse 26. Now the spirit will go on with the disciples, with the apostles to reveal the truth and give us what we understand as the New Testament now. He enables them to understand his death and resurrection, which is ahead when they occur. And the Spirit does that and he transforms them in time. But he reveals the truth about Jesus. He testifies to it. And so, you know, in my experience, it was the opening up of, of the Bible for the first time myself and reading what the Bible had to say myself that really transformed everything and taught me what Jesus was about, who he was. And so I want to encourage you to take advantage of that, to read the Bible for yourself, to ask the Spirit to testify to you, to give you understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. The Spirit does that. The Spirit gives that understanding. I don't have some special dose of the Spirit that you don't. The Spirit is there to enlighten the Scriptures. And therefore, in light of the Spirit's testifying work, we are called also to testify, verse 27, speaking firstly here to the disciples and then subsequently to us who are part of the church. And you also must testify. But that depends on the Spirit. And we need to depend on the advantage of the Spirit. He's the one who testifies ultimately. And therefore we have the encouragement and the foundation and the confidence to speak all the more, knowing that it's the Spirit ultimately who will testify to the truth of Jesus. And so to know the advantage of the Spirit is to know that that is ultimately only something Jesus or the Spirit can do. And so we are emboldened, therefore, in our everyday to speak about what we have come to believe. It can be in the casual everyday things, but being confident about the Spirit's ability to use that. We can't force anybody to understand anything about Christianity. It's not about having all the right answers or knowing everything. It's ultimately about the work of the Spirit, which actually releases you guys to speak in ways that might seem limited to you or 
or incomplete or perhaps not as you would prefer it to be. And I feel like that as well. But we are all together depending on the work of the Spirit as we speak about what's going on in their lives as, as Christians. And so there's going to be opportunities ahead with, with Easter, for example, to, to do that. It's more opportune time. We've got some books that we're going to give you at the weekend away to give to people, give to friends. Is, is, Easter, real, is Easter believable? You can't make your friends believe a word of these things, but the Spirit does. But you might be the only person who would give your friend that book, for example. And when we're put down by friends, when we feel targeted, when we feel like we're on the outside, when we feel the kind of hatred and opposition that Jesus is describing here, that is hurtful. And when those occasions occur, you ask yourself, you know, I don't know why. I don't know why I bother. I don't know why I'm going through this. You know, my friends, the people around me, they're never going to get it. They're never going to understand. In those instances, again, know the advantage of the Spirit. The Spirit testifies and reveals these things. Christianity is now on the fringes and is itself considered a hateful cause and we collectively feel the pressure of exclusion and wonder why, why go on? No one's ever going to change. Why make all these sacrifices? Why be different? Why stand out? Why not just drop it all and keep it to myself and ourselves? But when you know the advantage of the Spirit's work, Invite the Spirit to testify to you personally in God's Word and appeal to the Spirit then to testify through you to the people around you and within your influence. And so take the risk of inviting a friend to read a book with you, to, to read a gospel with you, to come along here on a Sunday morning or to simply say, well, look, do you want to just come around to my house, meet some of the, meet some of the other guys that come along to, to Emmanuel or help them understand why you act as you do and listen to their questions and be confident in all of that, that the Spirit is the one who testifies to the truth of Jesus. That's why Jesus says that it is to your advantage. So verse 5, he says, Now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Now, Jesus is going back to him, back to the Father who sent him. That would mean his death, his cross, and the resurrection. But the imminent prospect of that hasn't quite sunk in yet. They, they have asked questions about where Jesus was going just a little bit before this, but they've been short-sighted in, in why they've been asking that. They, they just don't get it. And they're, they're troubled. And Jesus recognizes that. He says, because I've said these things, verse 6, you're filled with grief. So they're grief-stricken. They're grief-stricken because they're focused, ultimately at this point, more on the impact it's going to have on them right now. They're focused more on the fact that Jesus is going to leave them than they are on the advantage of Jesus going to be with the Father or of their concern or sadness for his going via the cross. They don't grieve that. They're, they're more self-absorbed at, at this point, thinking, what, is this how this whole thing ends? What, you're leaving us now? 
and you're saying we're going to be hated and some of us are going to be kicked out of the synagogue and some of us are going to be killed? No wonder they're grieved that he's leaving. But, you know, it's an understandable weakness. I don't want to be too harsh on them because it's very understandable that they would react like that. It's a shock element to what Jesus said. Very confusing. Try to take in what is going on. If you place yourself in their shoes, they're reconfiguring their whole lives moment by moment and sentence by sentence at this point. They don't know what's ahead yet. They have not experienced it. Um, it's natural for us to react in that selfish and self-concerned way and to be more concerned with the impact it has on us than with the bigger picture of what this means for Jesus and, and for others. And yet Jesus is so profoundly patient with them and with us. He continues to journey with them, to prepare them, to speak to them, to be giving. And he tackles their grief even as his darkest hour is imminently approaching. He's gentle. He does give them a rebuke in what he says, but he's gentle in that rebuke. And you know, it's good for them and it's good for us to be shaken up, to be unsettled and to be uneasy about some of the realities of what we're experiencing. It's progress when you start to feel the reality of what journeying with Jesus means. The work of the Spirit causes that sense of unease in us sometimes to help bring us forward and weave us closer in to what Jesus has for us. Knowing the advantage of the Spirit's work is an invitation to move into that uncertainty, to move towards that confusion and unease, to address your selfish concerns, and to know that the disciples walked that same path before, and we are walking that same path one with another. But it takes time for them to understand the advantage. But Jesus says to them in verse 7 again, I tell you the truth, it is for your good, for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. <clears throat> it is for your good that I am going away. Now his, his going away in this case, as John writes, it's a simple statement, but it's actually encompassing the whole entire goal of Jesus' ministry. Jesus talking about his death, which will defeat the power of sin and Satan and darkness. It will atone for that. It will offer cleansing and grace and forgiveness and a way to deal with all of this sin and confusion and mess. And it will show in his resurrection his victory and in his return to the Father subsequently to a position of glory and rule. That is then when he will send the Spirit. So he, the simple statement of my going away is profound in its content. But he's saying to them, look, he summarizes, when I go away, I will then send the Spirit, and that will be for your good. It's good that I'm leaving. That will be a game changer. That will be a game changer that changes the world 
as he says in verse 8. When he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. It's like God's wake-up call. It will convict, he will convict the world of guilt. Now that sounds kind of negative, but the word world rather in John always simply means those who reject Jesus. But God doesn't abandon the world in its rejection of Jesus. Rather, he, he switches the lights on he, by the Spirit. He doesn't leave the world and its rejection in the dark. He moves towards the world in all that he does and is going away and by sending of the Spirit to switch the lights on so that people can see where they have misconceived everything Jesus is about. It sounds negative for guilt to be revealed, but actually it's a gift. That guilt and sin is already there. So the Spirit's coming doesn't make the world guilty. Rather, it wakes it up to that guilt. It's already there. It's just not acknowledged. But the Spirit comes and drives home that unseen reality. It awakens people to see their guilt before God. Drives that home. And so an awareness of your guilt and of your sin is a profoundly good thing. It is to know the advantage of the Spirit's work in your life. It might not sound or feel like that, but that is an invitation. It is the work of the Spirit driving home the implications of Jesus going away and what that means for you now. Revealing time and again your total dependence and your need of grace, your need of forgiveness. And so, whatever guilt you feel, know that the Spirit reveals that guilt purposefully in order to point you to the fruit of Jesus' going away, in order to point you to his cross, to his grace, to the wholeness, forgiveness, and hope that that means awareness of guilt enables you by the spirit to come to God to quash and dissolve its power over you. So don't allow guilt to consume you. Understand by the spirit that guilt can be a signpost and not a destination. That is to know the advantage of the work of the spirit and to encourage us to testify, to be confident the Spirit does have the power to change the world, to change the rejection of Jesus, to change people's hearts and minds. Know the advantage of that. Maybe you're here with us and you're, you're more of an observer and you don't really get it. Know the advantage of the Spirit. If you're feeling a tinge of guilt, that is a good thing. We all need to know the advantage of the Spirit's work on a personal level and as we interact with the world around us and as we spend time with people and neighbors and you think, nobody's ever going to get this. They're never going to understand. What are you talking about? The Spirit reveals that. It brings guilt to bear on the world, the rejection, which points them to the cross. As has been our experience. 
So we've no confidence in ourselves and every confidence in the Spirit. We've not been abandoned. We've been equipped. We're better off. We're given the Spirit who alone can bring people to see their need of Jesus. We can't manufacture that. We're utterly dependent on that. And that's humbling and reassuring. But we ought to expect people not to get it. But may that drive us more to the Spirit. So don't be surprised when people don't believe in Jesus. Verse 9. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. Mentioning sin and guilt in Irish culture today is perceived as a big no-no. You know, there's been enough of that in generations past, we will hear. So while we need to be sensitive in how we engage with these realities, we must expect that the very notion of sin and the need for Jesus will be rejected, ignored, and Jesus to be unwanted, which is the root sin, rejecting God himself. But the Spirit will continue to bring people from unbelief to belief. But we can expect also people to be self-righteous, verse 10. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. You may say to yourself, or you will have heard it said, well, I'm a good person. What do I need forgiveness for? It was standards of human righteousness that condemned Jesus as a blasphemer. Their standards of righteousness condemned him and brought him to the cross. And there's irony right throughout John of standards of sin, righteousness, and of judgment, which are all totally misplaced and used as accusations against Jesus. And so we can expect that to be the case. And the same is true of judgment in verse 11. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. People are very quick to make judgments, actually. You see it in social and political commentary. Just a while ago, I found a remarkable uh, political response um, by uh, Leo Varadkar's spokesperson. So Leo Varadkar at the moment is our Taoiseach, like head honcho, prime minister. He was Taunishta. You've got to love all these Irish words if you're not from here. That's like um, sub-head honcho, vice president. And Varadkar's uh, spokesperson released a statement in response to a, a controversial sermon that was given by a priest in, in recent months. Now, I don't need to get into that. But listen to the response, public response, that the Taunishta at the time used. I'm, think about this in terms of themes of applying your own judgment, your own righteousness, your own understanding of, of sin and whatnot. This is what the spokesperson said. The Taunisher respects the right to express religious beliefs freely, but does not believe that people will go to hell for being who they are. Nor does he believe that any man or woman can make such a judgment. Irony alert, he's just done that. He then goes on to quote Pope Francis and the Bible. Listen, as Pope Francis said, who are we to judge? As the Bible says, judge not, lest you be judged. We are all God's children. End of quote. 
That's what John is talking about. Standards of righteousness, standards of judgment, standards of sin, which are all of the world. And it is only by the work of the Spirit that those things can be reversed, enlightened, and changed. Leo basically preached an alternative sermon of his own via his spokesperson. The world is not against making judgments. It does it all of the time. All of the time. Even using the Bible to do so and to back up preferences. But what does it take for someone to embrace all of the scriptures and not just take a text out of context to back up your own argument? What does it take to follow all of the Jesus way, not just the selective bits that seem to suit you? What does it take to move from judging the Bible and judging those who seek to communicate the Bible towards submitting, rather, to its judgment? It takes the work of the Spirit. They judge Jesus to be out of his mind, reckless and dangerous, a liar and a sinner. The Spirit exposed that false judgment. And so we ought to expect people to rely on their own judgment, to dismiss God's judgment, and to miss the significance of the judgment of the cross. Because without the work of the Spirit, none of that changes. But with the work of the Spirit, all of that changes. The Spirit reveals these truths. And the Spirit was undoing the world's rejection and bringing about the defeat of darkness and Satan himself. The end of verse 11. The prince of this world now stands condemned. The Spirit does that, reveals that, reveals how faulty our judgment is, and only by the Spirit can our misconceptions, unbelief, self-righteousness, and faulty judgment be recognized and dealt with, and the devil dealt with. The prince of this world, as he is described, stands condemned because of the cross of Christ. So where I again to ask you, if you could get into that time machine, would you think that it is preferable to go back to 2,000 years ago, Palestine, to walk with Jesus face to face, hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder, or to live in the time now with the promise of his helper, counselor, the Holy Spirit. Might I put it to you that you can't say, I would prefer to have walked with him if you're not willing to believe what he says, which is, you're better off now. Verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He did and he has. So know the advantage of the Spirit's work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the presence and help of the Spirit. Thank you for Jesus going away and ascending 
of the helper. We pray that we will see the advantage of that in our everyday as individuals and as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to sing now a sung version of a benediction, a blessing. Let's stand and sing these words together. <clears throat>